0: This is Women on Set, and Hello. I, I'm Eden Carter and I'm here with Sarah Bulla.
1: Hi.
0: So last time we talked about Ellen Curris uh, we're both big fans. Mm-hmm. Uh, you might know her from Eternal, Eternal. Sunshine.
1: Uh, we watched Andy uh, I shot Andy Warhol. Yeah. She's also done Away We Go. Summer of
0: Sam. Uh, Swoon, a bunch of others. So if you haven't checked out our movies, definitely do that. If you haven't heard our episode, go back and listen to that one. Uh, yeah.
1: We are on Twitter at WPG and WordPress at w- uh, WomanOnSetWordPress.com.
0: Yeah. Uh, today we are going to be talking about Dee Reese, who is a director, uh, an African American woman, and a very good director. We watched Pariah, one of her great films from 2011, I believe.
1: I believe so, yeah. <laughs> and,
0: uh, so we'll be talking about that in a bit. Right now, we're going to have a session that we've now called So This Happened.
1: Hashtag So This Happened.
0: <laughs> because we've, we've managed to debrief on, on the week's events, uh, the last two episodes, and we have more to talk about today. Um, so in the wake of Harvey Weinstein, I'm sorry, in the wake of Harvey Weinstein, <laughs> as if I could ever forget his name, uh, and all of the allegations against him, a bunch of more people have uh, come forward with accusations against other people in Hollywood, bigwigs like Kevin Spacey, who initially, I think it was just at the start of the week, had one allegation against him. Uh, What was that boy's name?
1: Uh, Anthony Rapp.
0: Sorry, man, he's he's a fully grown adult. Um, (laughs) Well, he was
1: 14 at the time, so he was like under uh, age of consent. Yeah.
0: And so he accused Kevin Spacey of um, trying to take advantage of him when he was very, very intoxicated uh, when he was 14. And that was back in 1980?
1: Um, It was when Kevin Spacey was about 28 and Anthony Rapp was about 14. They were both doing work on Broadway. And um, in response, Kevin Spacey tweeted that um, he doesn't remember the incident, which is kind of like a, not really admitting up to it, but like mm-hmm. it's saying, if this did happen, I'm kind of sincerely sorry, and I'm sure it was due to much alcohol, which is kind of like a blame it on the uh, 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 alcohol kind of thing. But, you know, <laughs> <laughs> it, 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 he made a comment about it, but it wasn't the greatest one.
0: <laughs> and then, but it, it was also followed up with, he had sort of two paragraphs there. The first paragraph in his statement was, um, I don't remember, and if I... Um, did do this to this person. I sincerely apologize. It sounds like very inappropriate behavior. That was followed up by, um, I'm now living as a happily gay man, blah, Mm -hmm. blah, blah. So a little mini coming out speech. Um, And a lot of people were really frustrated by that. So that was the start of the week. But now this has progressed into many allegations against Kevin Spacey. And Netflix had already suspended... The production of the sixth season of House of Cards, when they heard about the first delegation, now there are all these other ones. Um, some people saying that they were raped while they were unconscious. Um, or one person in particular, I think they're 23. Or um, And then there's uh, many other people who said they were groped on the set of House of Cards or throughout the uh, TV show's production. And yeah, so we're looking at quite a, a slew of, of accusations against him by many different um, victims. So that's pretty... Pretty unsettling uh, mm-hmm. for I think everyone surrounding his work, and um, this sparked a conversation. I heard some of it on the radio this morning on CBC, and I had to consider what I would say about this. Just can you separate the work from the artist? And this is a discussion that me and Sarah have had uh, f- many times outside of the many, podcast, many, many. <laughs> just because. You know, we love certain people in the film industry, and then you find out that they've done something horrible. And so, then where do you stand? Like, do you still love what they've done? Do you still love their art, or do you remove yourself from it entirely? And so, with directors like Roman Polanski, Woody Allen, and uh, actors like Kevin Spacey, like, what do you decide? You know, Mm -hmm. how do you do? You still watch their movies? Do you still love their work? Do you still um, look at it objectively, or do you change your mind? And does it depend on the allegations? Does it depend on the the art what is it you know is it where is it subjective and where is it not and in
1: this case it's a bit like people are really looking at how the news outlets are handling it because um some news outlets are just focusing on kevin spacey is now an out, out gay man and it's like okay that's not really the main first issue at hand here so some people are kind of like she like um paying really close attention to wh- where the focus is going in that and but anyway going back to like with uh, how we look at their work from then on like personally i think like I can't watch it without thinking about it to an extent. Like sometimes I'll like go about 15 minutes without thinking about it and then I'll just like be watching that scene in Annie Hall where he like is saying I developed really early and he's like the it's around like the girls. Mm-hmm. Do you know the scene I'm talking about in Annie Hall?
0: I don't actually know what scene that is.
1: He's talking about, like, his developing sexuality and how, like, then he's in, like, a classroom with a bunch of young kids and a girl, he, like, yells it because it's very, like, breaking the fourth wall. Even Freud had a latency period and he's like, well, I didn't have a latency period. Mm-hmm. Um, and I can't watch that without thinking about it because it's Woody Allen in a room of, like, young, like, children. Yeah. <laughs> and it's, like, yeah, so it depends. And, yeah, I think going forward maybe a bit, like, more wary, but in past work it's like I can still watch it and enjoy it and I've already watched it like I love American Beauty and I'm not gonna stop loving American Beauty but but at the same
0: time Kevin Spacey is a predator in that film
1: is he a predator in that film
0: he's seeking he's he's completely seeking out his teenage daughter's friend yes (laughs) okay (laughs) yeah sorry (laughs) yeah so I mean the issue like I guess I, I agree with you in the sense that you can't unsee it I know that for me I I was really frustrated about Woody Allen because, or I am really frustrated with Woody Allen because I am a huge fan of his movies and I really loved um, a lot of the ways that he portrayed women. I really, I mean, even though that he he often put women in a position that was um, maybe where he was the superior or he was the more intelligent one or he was the older, more established one, he also was always crippled by his feelings for these women and they were always intellectuals they were always smart even in Annie Hall she did develop um enough and like she developed herself in a way that she could grow away from his character and not need him anymore and not care about mm-hmm. him and so for me watching Diane Keaton in a tank top and shorts and sitting on her bed you know braless and just with her hair up she was sexy, but she wasn't sexualized. You know, she was this woman that was just a normal woman and, and beautiful and attractive and, and smart. And he loved her for all those things. And, and that, for me, was really important to see because you usually see these these bombshells that are, are completely drawn up in the male gaze that's so stereotypical that you don't get to see women with more dimension than that. And then, okay, so movies like Hannah and Her Sisters, it's like all female leads and really interesting women. And... I just I'm so frustrated by the fact that now what I see when I look back at those movies is Woody Allen in a position where he is usually preying on younger women, or the lead is playing preying on younger women. I thought that Emma Stone was very young to be playing opposite Colin Firth in um, Magic in the Moonlight, I believe it's called. Yeah. Yeah. And I felt like Emma Stone was very young to be playing mm-hmm. opposite Colin Firth. Definitely. I thought that was a very bizarre role, and she also was very girlish in that movie. And then you you look back at things like Manhattan and everything else, and I love Manhattan. It's so beautiful, and there's so many things about it that are so intimate and so interesting. And f- somatic, cinematically, it's so beautiful. And then you're so frustrated by the fact that he's just a predator, and this girl is way too young to be with him. You know, she I, she's a, just in her in her mid-teens, and and he's much older, and and just okay with it because he's using her for whatever he wants. And I just feel so. I mean, it does. It is sort of self-critical at the same time. He definitely draws on those flaws and you see all the flaws in that male character that male lead in that movie but I'm just it's really frustrating to look back on it but can I let go of those movies I don't know like Mm -hmm. can I completely abandon the things that I love about them too
1: yeah, and for some people, it's so easy to say, like, um, well, the nothing was ever proved because, like, a lot of these things don't really go to court. They're settled outside of court. So you can just be like, well, we don't really know. And that's what a lot of people who end up working with these direct, Like, every person who, like, and, that works with Woody Allen nowadays has to make some sort of comment. Like, I think Kate Winslow was like, I don't really know for sure with Wonder Wheel and stuff. So, um. <laughs> um, but, yeah, it's just, like, there's still that feeling of, like, Probably, like it's kind of difficult n- not to think about it.
0: But what do you mean? So for you, what is the what are the determining factors for whether or not you can support their work still?
1: Um. Hmm. That's actually a really difficult question. <laughs> this is why I'm talking about the difficult things. Um. Well, I did watch Irrational Man. I downloaded it to be honest. So I didn't really support his work, but you know. <laughs> but so that's the question. Do you pay? Do
0: you still pay to go to the movie theater? Do you still? Like do you do we just carry on? Does it depend on the accusations? If he came out with new like, do should Kevin Spacey make the next season of House of Cards?
1: Mm, I personally don't like House of Cards, so I vote no. <laughs> but you know, um, I did watch um, Manchester by the Sea before I knew about the accusations, and then afterwards I was like, oh shit! I paid like twelve or movies are more expensive nowadays, fifteen dollars to see that movie, and I was like, was that the right call? And you know, the slightly questioning. So I really don't know nowadays.
0: So going in, in, in the future, would you pay to see another Kevin or Casey Affleck movie?
1: Probably not. I would just download it. <laughs> yeah, see, this is the
0: thing. is um, For me, too, I think it depends because I, I, what I want to do, personally what I want to do, is be able to watch the movie and not fund the movie and then be critical in my own way to get to see what the work is, to see... Uh, to be able to make my own judgments, but not necessarily to financially support the person who's making it. And I don't think that we should be giving opportunity. Like, it's it's difficult. It's definitely subjective. With the House of Cards thing, I am a fan of House of Cards. I didn't not so much a fan that I'm up to date. I haven't watched the last season and a half. Um, but I did really love the first couple seasons. And so, for me, I don't think that they should make the next one. Not because I don't think it's a good show, just because I think that you have to let that person go. You have to fire a person who's no different than. Um, Gian or anybody else, if, if they're that, if they're going to represent your company that way, you can't have that on your name. I I just don't think that, uh, those kind of allegations should be left, um, without, um, reprimanding or without consequence.
1: Yeah. If it does happen without consequence, that's kind of like, it's okay to just do it going forward and well, that's not good. Um, yeah. but it, I do get the kind of like watching it and like being almost curious about like how it, fits into their work like you kind of watch it in a new way being like what about this what about this like louis ck is coming out with a new movie called i love you daddy have you s- seen the trailer to that i haven't one? seen the trailer okay well louis ck has kind of complicated allegations against him not even like it's basically just rumors um kind of different than some other ones in the sense that no one's actually come forward with any uh, i can okay, i can hear my saliva can you hear my saliva
0: when you just did that i could
1: okay one second
0: Um, just, the only reason I pointed at you is because you were looking towards me while you were talking. I know, (laughs) (laughs) it's hard.
1: I want to have a conversation. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, Mm -hmm. um,
0: you might be able to pull that
1: farther. I don't know if that's hard for you to see. That's probably better. Mm -hmm. Okay, so, loop. (laughs) Louis C.K. doesn't really have accusations against him, but there's a lot of rumors swirling around, like, um, female comedians kind of making jokes in their stand-up even about, like, a certain famous male comedian that, like, will suddenly be naked and masturbating in front of a woman, which is very reminiscent of Weinstein. Um, and so people were kind of speculating Louis C.K. because, like, one of the biggest male comedians around, and he just hasn't commented on it because specifically, like, he, I think he made, like, a slight comment, like, that just fuels the rumor fire. Um, and then Tiggs uh, Noroto, I think is her name. She She's a really cool female comedian, and she, like, kind of is very into, like, he should comment on it, he should say, like, yes or no, to say like, nothing is to, like... Yeah, it in her in her mind like kind of saying yes almost, but he's saying no because like he's not saying anything because he thinks he'll just fuel the fire, and now he's coming up with this new movie called I Love You Daddy, which is basically about like um, kind of a character that's like him except a filmmaker, and uh, heard his daughter is uh, getting involved with an even older filmmaker that he admires, so it's kind of the interesting dynamic where like, but he's also dating like a kind of younger actress like he's like um like a 50 year old dating like a uh, high 20 like a 28 year old or something actress and then his daughter who's like um i I think he says a minor so maybe like 17 is dating this like real like 60 year old filmmaker or something and it's him dealing with like that and i'm really curious to see how that plays out in the film to be like that curiosity of like so you have this against you and you're making a film about this so how is that gonna go
0: yeah I think it's really interesting to also make that comparison: the work versus the with the allegations in mind. Uh, Someone like Roman Polanski, he's been accused of horrible things, and then something like Rosemary's Baby is a really feminist movie. Actually, it's all about uh, women having autonomy over their own body. And so, um, I just think that it's. I I guess we. I have no answer. It's really subjective. It depends on the person. It depends on like, for for what you were mentioning earlier about Manchester by the Sea, I watched that movie too. Whether or not I streamed it illegally, it doesn't matter. Okay. <laughs> um, but I, I watched the movie. I thought it was amazing. I thought he was really good. Unfortunately, and then I hoped he wouldn't win the Academy Award, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know. And so I, I was disappointed when he won. But I also just thought that there was many other great candidates. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but um, it was. I think it's really hard because part of us wants wants the good talent to succeed and wants them wants the allegations not to be true and even though I'm a woman who always wants the victim to be heard and I always want to be that ally for them it's really hard to sort of let go of the things that you wanted and so I guess it's nice to see that the public is choosing um the victim side over their hero's side or whatever um in all these these new court cases because that's not normal behavior for the public in the past like this the fact that kevin spacey so quickly was criticized uh, all throughout social media for having used this opportunity as a come out speech instead of just leaving it the apology that it was in the first paragraph um was like everyone was talking about it. and so that to me when kevin spacey such a beloved actor when so many people love him and think he's so talented it's really interesting that even still there was just that much criticism and i think it's really heartwarming actually the way that people have sort of shifted their psyche around no these are serious and we take them seriously
1: Mm -hmm. it's also different with like um social media controversy versus or like talking about it versus like actual hard legal action and stuff and i guess with kevin spacey there is actual hard action because he's um house of cards is not continuing or like probably is not continuing and his agency and publicist has uh let, like let him loose so there has been actual like real world consequences but sometimes i find it's just like a bunch of social media hubbub that doesn't go anywhere but also so.
0: for harvey weinstein being immediately terminated that's remember yeah. when gian gomeshi was being accused of all those things everyone was on his side everybody hated cbc for letting him go and uh for the initial part there were so many women that were voicing um their distaste for the way that he was just let go and, and saying that these women were just looking for attention when really, he'd lied to his organization. He'd like he'd lied to his company. He'd lied to everybody around him and his PR people, and so they had to be like, "No, you're you're a risk. You have to be terminated." Like this mm-hmm. is just common sense. And so many so many people in the public were just outraged at the beginning that he was terminated instead of thinking, oh, "Okay, they have reason. The reason he was like, go oh, is because there's a lot here. There's a story there." And uh, but you're right because in the end, even after all of that, he was still not charged as being yeah. guilty. He was he was still not convicted for being guilty, and even though everyone believed that he was, and so but at the same time, his reputation was tarnished. He was let like, go from his um, his job, and so even for Harvey Weinstein, if he doesn't, if he's not convicted for this, which I believe he he must be, I think at least we've seen companies let go of this powerhouse or like whatever or the hollywood let him fall even though he was a huge pillar
1: Mm -hmm. okay we should wrap this segment up before we make ourselves sad (laughs) this has been so it so this happened (laughs) um next we're gonna look at d reese and pariah Um, We're going to play a little clip, but first a synopsis. So Pariah is about a Brooklyn teenager juggling conflicting identities and risks friendship, heartbreak, and family in a desperate search for sexual expression. Play the clip. (laughs) Heartbreak opens onto the sunrise for even breaking is opening and i am broken i'm open see the love shine in through my cracks see the light shine out through me my spirit takes journey my spirit takes flight and i am not running i am choosing
0: so um, unfortunately, I haven't. I have to fess up and say that I haven't finished the movie. I've only gotten to watch the first half. Um, we're in the middle of a busy semester, and I am okay, going to make excuses. It's okay. We forgive you. <laughs> yeah. um, for me, I'll say a little bit because I don't have as much to say. Uh, <laughs> what I saw was um, it's interesting to see the similarities with this movie and Moonlight because uh, definitely aesthetically, there seems to be almost some inspiration there. Um, oh, for
1: people who don't know, Moonlight is um, uh, it won the Oscar last year. So if you don't know, you have your head under a rock. But just in case, um, it's directed by Barry Jenkins. And it's about a um, a, um a boy and then man at three points in his life, like kind of um, like discovering his uh, homosexuality and then kind of repressing it and then re returning to it and kind of a journey of self acceptance almost. And yeah,
0: mm-hmm. and um, and similarly. Uh, that was a story about an African American man trying to find his place within his community um, as a gay man, or hiding his homosexuality. And this is a story of a woman in a similar situation, but not as desperate a situation, I would say, mm-hmm. in terms of Im- Im- like poverty and uh, and violence. Um, what I found interesting right off the bat was she was definitely living in a different circumstance. It wasn't really comparable. The aesthetics were definitely comparable because they used so much pink and so much so many greens. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were using a lot of colored gels, like the, all the filtered light uh, in the indoor scenes that I thought was really reminiscent of Moonlight. But um, aside from that, the story itself was interesting because she was seemed to be very loved at the very beginning of this movie. I don't know how it turned out in the end, but for me at the beginning, it was interesting to see how her mother seemed to want to be close to her. Her father seemed to be supportive of her. And her teachers seemed to believe in her, and yet there was this massive sort of conflict going on internally, and she was sort of isolating herself, and and looked like she was really struggling, even though she was surrounded by a bunch of people that wanted to support her, even a girl that was interested in her um, at the bar, this um, heterosexual girl who was kind of, like, exploring and, and showing some interest. Uh, It was, yeah,
1: yeah. I found it much more relatable than Moonlight, and that, like, a girl just, like going between two identities like the kind of self you present at school because at school she is pretty much presenting as like a male and at home like that kind of person that your parents want you to be and your mom buying like buying you clothes and saying like oh you look pretty in this like even like obviously it's different when you're going through like um like coming out and stuff but it's like such a relatable thing for any girl I think that kind of like um, expression through your clothes and like your friends and your parents, um, your parents. And
0: yeah. and also that, um, struggle with your parents and their opinions, really sort of resenting them for having any opinions or trying to get <laughs> yeah. close to you. You know, when you're feeling vulnerable and misunderstood, the last thing you want is your parents to stick their nose in your room and be like, hi, let's be close. Like, let's be best friends. You're just like, get out of my life. I'm trying to deal with myself and figure <laughs> out what's happening. Um, and then I imagine that's only enhanced when you're trying to sort out where you identify. Mm-hmm. Um,
1: so D Reed describes Brya as semi autobiographical. She is a out woman. And um um she also wrote it. And uh, it's very it's, it's kinda of, it's very clear, it's very personal and um um <laughs> My tiredness is showing, sorry. <laughs> no, that's okay. Um
0: It's the end of a hectic week. We do just need it. For the time. <laughs>
1: um it was adapted from a short uh spike lee's an executive producer um i really liked how um at first i found the cinematography like a bit too there was like that kind of camera shake to it like i wanted it to be smoother but then like all the like close-ups and how it felt kind of claustrophobic i think it kind of adds to it even though sometimes it was like i need this to be on a big screen why am i watching this on my laptop it was um it definitely added to the feel of it because she just was like smothered by her like parents opinions and like her even her friends like her friend who is supportive of her sexuality her opinions and like trying to like pursue these romantic relationships but being nervous because she hasn't even like kissed a girl yet and stuff like that it's like it definitely shows in the cinematography
0: yeah, I found the what you were talking about, the camera shake, really interesting because I was very unsettled at the dinner table. Um, they had this scene where they were having their first family dinner with the, it was the introduction to her father. We hadn't seen him yet in the movie. And um, her, the mother was acting very uptight and very sort of uh, anxious and overbearing. And I definitely felt anxious the whole time they had dinner, even though the conversation was fairly pleasant and even though they all seemed to be getting along. I definitely felt uncomfortable and I felt like that was intentional like Mm -hmm. that i was trying they were you know maybe d was trying to put us in her skin and just make us understand that like this isn't necessarily a comfortable space
1: Mm -hmm. um and i I liked how uh, there were these like bits of dialogue that at first felt like kind of unnecessary but then like it's important for characterization like the way that like the characters are confused like oh i thought you said this sort of thing like um it's a much more like characterization through dialogue and stuff that i found kind of cool because um
0: yeah, <laughs> yeah. I also thought it was really interesting the way that I didn't trust their father, even though they seemed to be getting along so well. They were playing basketball and like laughing and enjoying themselves. They were. It was shot in a way, and he was portrayed in a way that did, didn't seem close. And I didn't feel, I didn't feel very comfortable and very like secure around him, like in the movie. I guess if that makes sense.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, are we doing spoilers for this episode? Like, do you want to know what happened? Uh, <laughs> You you
0: can you can do spoilers. I don't care. I'll keep watching regardless.
1: <laughs> okay, so um, the general kind of what she, at first she's a. Uh, it starts in the, like an awesome club scene where they're at um this um local lesbian club and she's with her friend and at first I just thought they were guys because they like or have their like snapback hats and they're like yeah dancing with like I guess the femmes and I don't know if that's like. Like, I think this is sometimes pigeonholing, but, like, butch and them lesbians. Um, and then, like, on the way of uh, bus home, she's, like, changing back into her earrings and her, like, sparkle angel shirt. And her mom's like, oh, you look so nice today. It's <laughs> um, so, like, relatable. And the way her mom buys clothes for her being like, I think you should wear this is so, like... Oh my god. <laughs> I thought
0: that the scene with uh, her mother and that other woman where she pulls out the garment that she wants her daughter to wear was so well done. I definitely felt her mother's loneliness and her mother's longing for stuff to work out and her sort of fragility. I definitely felt like her mom was, it was very clear that her mom was a fragile person. And you really felt for her in her pursuit to, you know, try and support her daughter, get closer to her, and, and sort of almost trying to turn her into a daughter that would have an easier life.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, the mom is uh, religious also, like, they, they established that pretty early on, so that's a factor. And she has a big stick up of butt. <laughs> uh, and, uh, uh, yeah, the main character is also a writer, so she's, like, showing her work to her uh, favorite teacher. I always, I found that su- super cute. Um, and... Uh, Uh, I found it dragged a little bit in the middle when it's establishing, like, her parents, like, marital troubles. It's kind of, like, implied her dad is having um, an affair and her mom's, like, catching on to it and trying to, like, basically avoid it by being an overbearing mom to the kids. Like, that's how she's avoiding dealing with her, like, cheating husband. Um, but then they kind of establish that, and uh, the main character is pursuing her, her love interest. It's uh, that scene with the okay. So Chauffeur, one of her, um, uh, a girl at school says that she might get with her if like what? What's the phrase she used? Like a bit more something. So the main character feels the need to get a strap on, and her she gets her friend to buy it for her, and it's uh, a white dildo because <laughs> didn't even get her like a, a black dildo. <laughs>
0: And, uh, and the scene where they cut to, the scene where they're talking about it is very sort of, um, the scene where they're talking about it is sort of subtle and discreet, and then they cut to this shot of just, like, the dildo, like, it's just (laughs) the the strap-on already on her body, and, um... It's, yeah, it's sort of drawing and it's also very comedic. Uh, but Especially then you,
1: her uncomfortableness with wearing it. Like, she's trying to wearing it and, like, shifting around like a guy kind of would, I guess. Yeah, <laughs>
0: like, I actually thought it was a really exceptional performance by the lead actress. Oh, definitely. Because, like,
1: I, I didn't think... That's that you're so into her character that you don't even think about her as an actress. She's just like, this is who you are right now.
0: <laughs> yeah, so her name is... Adépero Oduye. I don't know if I pronounced that right. I really hope so. Um, and, uh, yeah, I just felt like, especially, like, even next to the other actors, she just outshone everyone. Her All of her performances where she was fairly alone on camera, I just really, really, really believed everything she was feeling. There was a scene in the club where she was feeling a lot of discomfort because she had this strap-on on and a lot of vulnerability because she was trying to put something on that she wasn't familiar with yet. And, um, and by put something on, I mean a persona. And... Yeah, it was just obvious, the discomfort and the, the vulnerability, it was just so there. And I really believed, yeah, everything that uh, she was doing, it was really good. Mm-hmm. Do you have any criticisms about the movie?
1: Um I think like it depends what you compare it to like initially we were comparing it to like Moonlight because it's kind of like you can't yeah.
0: d- <laughs> <Huh>? <laughs> no, I was just gonna say but like I we can't probably come I well I guess I could say this on um I was just gonna yeah I don't know that we can compare it to Moonlight I don't think that
1: well yeah you can't really but initially that's what we were kind of thinking based on the premise initially but it's like so different because of like the home situation and also the structure like Moonlight has like a very clear three-act structure and the music is so dramatic and it's like this one has much more like um like characterization through dialogue and it's just that one like time and she's already kind of like established more of her identity like she is basically like internally accepted herself as gay and now it's more about like showing it and like how to like interact with other girls and stuff like that like actually putting it into practice kind of
0: and own it all in all social circles too i guess
1: mm-hmm. even with her um other um like uh her friend who is also a lesbian like um her friend has left school and is getting her gaed so she can't actually hang out with her at school and the friend is also like um like very like uh, kind of a lady's lady uh, <laughs> and so she feels kind of like pressured to go out there and stuff but then when she does she actually gets um A girl that her mom, weirdly enough, is like, You should be friends with this girl because you're both, like, I don't know, like, rebelling against your moms. (laughs) Uh, So they kind of like put them together like a play date kind of thing, but then they end up like actually being kind of cool together and like the girl is pretty nice. And then um, uh, she starts like kind of um, going on a date with the girl and her um, uh, initial lesbian friend is like kind of jealous in a way almost. So she's like, At first, she's very like, um, like almost macho and trying to like put on a face and then kind of like um actually confesses like i'm have to admit i'm like a bit jealous here and like have feelings for you and that kind of stuff um and then uh the main character ends up like what's her name again i it's lee she kind of has like different she goes nicknames by Ali. i think it's alike alike so alike um ends up uh uh sleeping spending the night with um the um girl that her like mom kind of matched her up with ironically but then the next morning the girl is um kind of like brushes her off it's like it's such a heartfelt scene actually where she does the kind of like the straight girl like like i'm not actually gay this was just like a night kind of thing and it just sucks because before then they were like showing each other music they were like talking about their relationship with their moms they were like emotionally connecting and the next morning it's just like boom, which is, like, kind of, like, similar to other things I've heard. Like, I've heard, um, uh, like, so, uh, lesbian sleeping with straight girls, kind of, like, that, like, straight girl just doing it, like, as a phase, and then the lesbian is actually, like, like, just, just pursuing a romantic interest. So it was, like so, like, so, like, so, like, heartbreaking. And she goes home and, like, wrecks her room. And, yeah, then, like, kind of, um, in in the process of, like, her emotional just peak, she comes out to her parents, her and then her parents at the time are like her mom is accusing her dad of like infidelity and her dad's just trying to like calm stuff down and her mom is of course freaking out like, and like kind of slaps her. Um and then yeah. <laughs> it's sad. <laughs> but then she she recovers. She writes a very emotional piece which is in the trailer. I don't, I don't know. I'm just spoiling the movie at this point. Stop me <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: Um, the, the only criticism that I would have in the first half of the film that I have seen, um, is the music choices. I was really not into a couple of them. Uh, I think it may be a stylistic choice from the earlier 2000s, or maybe it's just, uh, it was these... Yeah, the lyrics, the it, they just drew attention to themselves in a way that was mm-hmm. way too melodramatic, and it didn't suit the very stylish aesthetic of the film. I just thought that the music should have been more subtle and let the visuals play out and speak for themselves, and I really found the songs a couple times to be distractions, and I was really sort of disappointed by it, because it, it definitely took away from... I thought that it was a very, um... What's the word?
1: Emotional film?
0: No, like, um... I thought there was a lot of mastery in the way that it looked and the way that it was made and the way that it was acted by this main character. Um, but then I thought that it was sort of uh, diminished a little bit by the some of the music that was used.
1: Yeah, especially music with lyrics. It feels more like it's telling you what to feel as opposed to just letting you kind of feel it. So it did have a lot of music with lyrics in there.
0: It felt very save the last dancey. <laughs>
1: you know, <laughs> that might be a bit of a stretch, but maybe. You know,
0: know what I mean? You know, it that, sort of felt like that yeah. cheese. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. <laughs> that, yeah, which is yeah. too bad. Uh,
1: overall, I liked it, but I definitely did feel like it dragged in the middle with like, because I, I care mostly about her not really what her parents are up to. But they need to establish the parents thing to kind of like, um, have it be understandable her parents' reaction. Although maybe maybe it wasn't actually necessary because we mm-hmm. could just be like. Her parents are dicks about it, but... (laughs) I
0: also felt like it was pretty... I didn't know... I felt like I was treated a little bit like... uh, I felt like the script was a little bit dumbed down for us in terms of making things a bit too obvious. I did feel like the relationship between her and her friend... You can tell me if I'm wrong because maybe the rest of the movie played out differently. Um, I'll have to comment on it when I finish the movie for next week. Um, But I felt like the establishing the relationship in the first half of the movie that I saw between the mother and her husband, it was very obvious in the very beginning with the first line where she said, it's your dad's day off, uh, that there was a discomfort there, that she was, that their relationship was uncomfortable and that she was subservient and that he was a dominant force that was going to do what he wanted. And I felt like within that dinner scene, I, I, totally understood that so then when they were going to church and she was like going to get him a beer even though it was Sunday morning and he was just sort of telling her off and there was a big sort of debate over what the girls were going to wear I just thought I get this already you don't have to reinforce this um
1: yeah the, the parents aren't exactly having like super complex emotions like it's pretty easy to take in like yeah
0: and then same with the friend and uh with her um would you call them transgender or would you
1: call them lesbians Well, um, they're, like, currently identifying. Well, they they don't actually verbally identify, but I would say based on behavior, they're currently identifying as lesbians. They're presenting as male occasionally, but they don't all the time, so I definitely wouldn't say transgender.
0: Okay, so um, I would say that her and her lesbian friend, it was very clear to me, I thought it was kind of clear that her, with a little bit of jealousy that her friend was obviously into her, didn't want her to move on too quickly, and then there was this scene where she opens her locker and there's a picture of um Lee and it makes this very obvious connection to she's clearly got feelings for her and i just thought i don't need that you could have done it with much less for me to understand that they had feelings towards each other you know mm-hmm. what I,
1: mean? I feel like sometimes it was a bit like hitting a point 3 times when you only need to hit it the first time yeah uh but i did like the um like kind of emotional high points like the initial scene in the club that's kind of cool and like her kind of switching identities to go home and also, like, I like the scene where um, the girl from her school, like, I don't even think she liked the girl that much, but it's, like, a girl that likes her, so she's like, I immediately have to change this so that this girl, like, will get with me kind of thing, mm-hmm. and then when it actually comes to, like, she's at the girl, um, the club with the girl, and the girl's like, do you want to dance? She's like, no, I'm good.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so maybe, maybe we could say that, because I, I agree with you, I think that the main characters, um journey was was wonderful i really loved Mm -hmm. understanding that character on a deeper level and i thought that it was really authentic so maybe it's just for the this um secondary characters that we see this sort of like slightly exaggerated um representations that we really understand the very sort of simple surface like superficial emotions for them Mm -hmm. or maybe that's unfair superficial is probably unfair (laughs) it's
1: not like completely superficial but it's just like like i'm sure you could have a complex like Exploration of what it's like to be cheated on, that kind of stuff, but it's from her perspective. So from her perspective, she's just seeing like her parents fight and her mom be overbearing and her dad like have a phone call with a woman and being like, "I gotta go, my daughter's here" and stuff like that, which mm-hmm. is all very like what you would expect to see kind of thing. Like I'm, I'm sure she knows. Like she doesn't even like comment on the affair because she's just like, "It's, it's happening." Probably. at least I think she asked her dad, like, "Who were you talking to on the phone?" A could few, few times, kind of trying to get him to like fess up but besides that she's dealing with her own stuff kind of and um yeah
0: yeah so i guess it's just the straightforward delivery of those things Mm -hmm. yeah um and so we were also going to watch mudbound because we thought it was on netflix turns out it's coming to netflix so i think on november 17th you'll be able to watch that so we are looking forward to it and we hope you do too that is also directed by Reese, and um yeah so violence is part and parcel of country life I learned how to stitch up a bleeding wound, load and fire a shotgun. My hands did these things, but I was never easy in my mind.
1: Way down in the water. I held his heartbeat in my hand. Way down in the water. All that time he was gone, I only prayed for him.
0: Over there, I was a liberator. People lined up in the streets waiting for us. Sometimes I actually miss it. Yeah, me too. So Mudbound is set in rural American South... Mudbound is set in the rural American South during World War II, um, but it's not necessarily just a regular old... Um, mil- regular old? It's not necessarily a military movie. It seems to be set uh, on this ranch more than anything. It's about farmland in Mississippi in the Mississippi Delta, and so I'm hoping for a really good soundtrack. And um, it's about... Mudbound follows the McAllen family newly, transported, newly transplanted from... The quiet civility of Memphis, and is unprepared. For, who is unprepared for the harsh demands of farming? So um, it sounds like there's a lot of racial tension in this movie. It sounds like it will be a really interesting watch. So I definitely recommend checking it out once it arrives. On Comes <laughs> out
1: on Netflix on I think it's November 17th. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, Pariah was cool. We recommend watching it. And yeah, that's uh, our recommendation for this week of like a movie that directed by or like worked on by a woman that we both really like is Paris is Burning.
0: Oh, yeah. So, um, Paris is Burning is a really great documentary. We both really enjoyed it. You can watch it on Netflix. And we're going to play a clip of it now. You have space to do all that you intend to. Now, the categories are Butch Queen. 1 through 17, and for the girls, 18 through 30. As far as all of y'all not walking, please realize that we all, at one time or another, have lusted to walk a ballroom floor. So give the patrons and the contestants, you know, a round of applause for nerve, Because with your vicious motherfuckers, it do take nerves. Believe me, we're not going to be shady, just fierce.
1: Those balls are more or less like our fantasy of being a superstar, you know, like the Oscars or whatever, or being on a runway as a model. You know, a lot of those kids that are in the balls, they don't have two of nothing. Some of them don't even eat. They come to balls starving, and they sleep in under 21, or they sleep on the pier, or wherever. They don't have a home to go to, but they'll make, they'll go out and they'll steal something and get dressed up and come to a ball for that one night. and uh yeah so that was the trailer to paris is burning um it is about uh (laughs) it's late Mm -hmm. (laughs) um so paris is burning is a chronicle of new york's drag scene in the 1980s focusing on balls voguing and the ambitions and ambitions and dreams of all those who gave the era its warmth and vitality um i saw it at fourth this local coffee shop and i was really surprised at how much i liked it like I like documentaries but I still have this kind of perception that like documentaries are boring. But this one's like it's fairly short. I think it's just like 80 or so minutes um and it's like oh it's so just like well the content is just so exciting because it's like that like era of uh, drag queens where they were like discovering the new language of like to read somebody and like um like uh like voguing and like the type of dance and also like how the drag was much more like versatile. They hadn't really established, like, the little like I'm a big fan of new RuPaul's Drag Race, so and also because I already was kind of familiar with the language and this is like the history of the language and stuff. So in RuPaul's Drag Race, there's like the glamour queens and the comedy queens, but this is the point where like they didn't really have those niches and they were just like doing what they wanted and like anything could be drag, like dressing up in military gear and walking like the military men do could be drag. It was and so I think
0: cool. The important part about Paris is Burning is this is about people who are living on the street. This is about homeless people, that people who have no money and nothing to go on. Like it's interesting contrast to RuPaul's Drag Race, where mm-hmm. uh, it's a funded TV show, so there's there's all kinds of money for them to look really really glamorous. And this is people who had stubble and who had um, unshaven legs and uh, who were taking stuff, using stuff that they found out of the garbage can. So it's it's a really interesting look at uh, the drag scene in New York at that time. And then I also think it's just really honest. It's really the interviews are so interesting. They really got a lot out of. Um, all of the people in this documentary,
1: mm-hmm. and it's
0: interesting what you say about that—that that sort of stigma about documentaries are boring. Because even though I love all of uh, so many documentaries, and I've seen so many that I really enjoy, and I even will choose them. Uh, over anything else when I have an opportunity or I see one that's interesting um but I still have to fight like this slight tension inside of me that's like oh but I might be, bo- I might be bored <laughs> do I feel like I can engage yeah. with the material right now even though so many documentaries are this uh, one's like
1: the most engaging <laughs> it's great <laughs> yeah.
0: it does have a lot of uh, engagement factor for sure mm, um, but
1: yeah RuPaul has definitely been like um said to have almost like um um culturally appropriated drag culture because like he took it into the mainstream which is kind of cool because it's in the mainstream but it also like takes something that people worked really hard on and kind of came as like a labor of love and passion and makes it like for profit TV show you know (laughs) like yeah,
0: it was interesting. I was having I had a couple of interesting conversations about RuPaul recently. One of my friends was doing a show. Uh, if any of you are from Winnipeg, you might be familiar with bands as bands um, in out the Goodwill, where local bands impersonate famous bands. And my one friend, who's a man, was supposed to impersonate Katy Perry in a duet with his other friend. Mm-hmm. And he said he intentionally didn't put very much effort into his appearance because he didn't want to disrespect anybody who makes like who's passionate about drag queen like being a drag queen or or uh. participating in drag he really wanted to separate himself from anyone who um is passionately involved with that and so uh that's, that was an interesting take because i thought is it is it disrespectful to participate in a way that like is where you put a lot of effort into it or is it disrespectful to um, put a lot of effort into it as a straight cis man uh, who doesn't normally dress in drag. It was an interesting sort of thing to think about. That
1: is really interesting. Like, I think it's kind of neither. Like, my favorite drag queens are the one that's like, drag is whatever you want it to be. And they have, like, such varying forms. And they don't stick to one thing exactly. And they like, they'll put a trash bag on themselves and be like, I'm in drag right now and, like, stuff like that. Like
0: Yeah, so I guess, and I guess because neither of us, um, I identify um, as, like, how do I say that?
1: Neither of us do drag.
0: And because, yeah, because neither of us do drag, I don't think that we can probably, we can't comment. (laughs) Sorry. It's not that we probably can't, it's that we can't. So we would love your opinion if you want to. Tweet at us at WPG. We would love to hear your opinion. We'd love to know your thoughts on it. Um, Yeah. And then the other conversation I was having about RuPaul's Drag Race, uh, there was an article in the Uniter, which is the University of Winnipeg's paper, Uh, last year, I believe. And my friend brought my attention to it after I was talking about RuPaul. And the article just sort of talked about how important it is to support your local drag scene. And so for all these people that have newly become huge fans of RuPaul's Drag Race, me included, it's just really important to recognize, are you also supporting the drag queens, like the local drag scene in your city? And so just to remember that there are shows that go on, that there are events that go on. For Winnipeg, the Sunshine House, has all kinds of drag events all throughout the year and so it's really important for us to recognize that these people exist around us and they're not just a a thing from Hollywood that we watch on TV Mm -hmm. and so it is important to like recognize what's going on locally and how can we support them at home as well.
1: Fame has an awesome uh, Christmas event by the FYI they give out like free stuff like condoms not just condoms also like measuring tape one year I got like coupons to like stuff it was good and there's drag queens at that one (laughs) it's it's super fun and they do like performances and contests it's amazing um but yeah back to Paris is Burning as fascinating as RuPaul and her local drag scene is um it's super um interesting how like they're varied like the characters are like I love that kind of like um there's one guy who I think like I uh, googled afterwards and he like basically like is a pioneer of voguing like the way he vogues is like i have never seen voguing before it's like maybe we should
0: maybe we should uh talk about what voguing is for viewers who don't know or listeners who don't know (laughs) how do
1: i describe voguing because okay the stereotypical like madonna voguing which she like also kind of culturally appropriated voguing um is to like put your hands around your face in a square and dance um but the way that like they do voguing in this movie is kind of like they, they, they dance with their whole body. Like, they kind of, like, their feet and, the, the hands. And, like, they kind of do these, like, crazy hand motions that I, I, I can't even describe. But it's, if you see it, you'll recognize it. Uh,
0: so, <laughs> I, I just looked it describe up. Describe so it better have than had. I can. <laughs> <laughs> um, So this is this is what voguing is defined as online, because I couldn't come up with a way to say it better than Sarah. Um, It says to. (laughs) I had
1: such a good description, JK.
0: (laughs) Dance to music in such a way to as to imitate the characteristic, the (laughs) characteristic Dance to music in such a way as to imitate the characteristic poses struck by models on a catwalk. So you're like dancing and like walking in a catwalk way, like it's it's as if you're taking control of a runway, but you're doing it with dance,
1: and it's like incredibly like exaggerated and like it's to the music, but also like incorporating your costume or like I guess not costume, but like your outfit and like
0: incorporating a lot of freestyle. There's just
1: it's very freestyle the way that I guess like nowadays there would be like different forms of voguing, but like that's the way that they do it in the movie is just awesome, and then there's also like a character who is um. Uh, uh, planning to get a sex change and like who will go out and like with um like kind of men and like there's this famous quote um, that she has that like uh um uh, so uh, a woman if she wants like a new like I can't remember what she says a new like dishwasher it's slightly less sexist but kind of like. An interesting quote, if she wants a new dishwasher from her husband, she'll probably have to sleep with him, so really it's not that different, her, her explaining how she, like, kind of has sugar daddies, um, and just such an interesting character, and she becomes, like, a really vital character to the film.
0: Mm-hmm. So we highly recommend Paris is Burning. You can check that out on Netflix. Please do. Um, and so for next week, our homework is to check into Reed Morano, and if you haven't seen this woman, she... Or if you don't know of her, she's directed a few episodes of The Handmaid's Tale. She was the director of. Me- the director of Cinematographer of Meadowland.
1: Director of Meadowland. Right,
0: director of Meadowland. And she was the cinem- cinematographer for Frozen River and for The Skeleton Twins.
1: That's the one with Bill Hader and Kristen Wigg.
0: Mm hmm. So we're going to check out as much of her material as possible for next week. We encourage you to do the same. And uh, yeah. Especially Handmaid's
1: Tale, because. Handmaid's Tale is awesome.
0: <laughs> yeah, and I've never seen an episode, so I'm really looking forward to checking that out.
1: Mm-hmm. I really like how I, I didn't actually read the book, but I spoiled it for myself online way before the TV show, because I tend to do that with books. Um, but they really, the way they adapted the book is super cool, and I love um Elizabeth Moss, she is great and everything. And yeah, I really recommend you watch it. Oh, we also have a local event recommendation. Isolated Landscapes video by Prairie Women is happening at Video Pool. Um, from November third to seventeenth, they're going to be looking at um, films from nineteen eighty four to nineteen ninety nine, and from November nineteenth till December first. So you have all the way till December first to check it out. It's uh they're exploring films from two thousand to two thousand nine, and there's like a huge variety. There's like performance art pieces. There's like animation. There's like everything you could basically dream of.
0: Yeah. Um, thanks for listening. Hello. <laughs> what else did we say? So. Yeah, we think that you should... Oh, okay. Oh, I remember. Okay. So, uh, yeah, apparently a curator from California was brought in by Video Pool, and she went through all of the archives for Winnipeg's, uh, in Winnipeg's film history, and couldn't believe how much material there was submitted by women in the prairies. She said it was just overwhelming, the amount of talent that was there. So I'm really looking forward to checking out that series of films, Um, and yeah, we encourage you all to do it as well, and... We will see you next time. Please watch Paris is Burning. Thanks Check out for listening. Read Morano, yeah. Oh
1: yeah. <laughs> oh tweet us at woman onset WPG if you have any recommendations. You watch any of the movies, you just wanna, you know, tweet at us. <laughs>
0: <laughs> um I just wanna just just as a disclaimer, uh, we try our best to be politically correct on this podcast. We definitely uh, aren't perfect and we definitely um this is a Mm. This is a continued education, and so we appreciate all any and all feedback that you're willing to offer us. Please tweet at us or uh, submit a comment on our website. We would love to know if we've said anything that offended you, or you could help us understand better um, how we can deliver some of this material in a way that's sensitive to all the people that it might affect.
1: Oh yeah, we forgot to put that at the beginning. Yes, if we are always willing to learn, help us be better people. So, this episode is brought to you by um, Isolated Landscapes Video by Prairie Woman, an exhibition at Video Pool. Yay! Yay!